Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Thank you. Wow, it's so good to be in the house of God. And I love Easter because Jesus said, I love my house full. And it's so good to see you all here and to celebrate. And we're excited because the stone's been rolled away. The stone's been rolled away. And today, as we minister, the Spirit of God is here, and some things are going to roll off some people's lives today. That sense of failure and disappointment, that sickness and disease, the Spirit of God is here because when Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. Everything shifts, and I believe today the stone's going to roll away of shame and, and grief and loss over some people's hearts today. Those things are going to roll away because Jesus has risen from the dead. Let's reach up to heaven as we pray. Lord, I thank you because the stones rolled away, we can live in freedom. Lord, you can take the junk and the shame out of our souls. Lord, you can lift off disappointment and you replace it with hope, with life, with strength, with courage. Lord, with Lord, your blessings overflowing our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, just touch all of our lives as we look at your word about the resurrected Christ and the stone has rolled away way. I thank you for that now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's take our seats. Wow. The stones rolled away. Matthew 28 verses 1 to 7 is Matthew's account of the resurrection. And it says, now after the Sabbath, near dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And a great earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the opening of the tomb and sat on it. Made sure that no one was going to roll it back. He sat on it. Wow. Just to keep guard. The angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook, paralyzed with fear at the sight of him And became like dead men, pale and immobile. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said he would. Come, see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee as he promised. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Wow, I love this story. It's alive. It's powerful. And just like Marilyn, I love Easter because I got filled with the Holy Spirit at an Easter camp as a young person at Bethshan campsite here. And so Easter's always special because I lived over near Toowoomba, but I was here for a youth camp and got filled with the Holy Spirit in Harvey Bay, right next door to where the church is here. And I love Easter because it's a, it's a revelation that the stone has rolled away. How did the stone get there? Mark 15, 46, it says, So Joseph of Arimathea bought some linen cloth, took down Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And so what would happen is, this was a brand new tomb that was made for Joseph, who was a wealthy man who had become a follower of Jesus. He went and asked Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? Because he was a well-known Jewish religious leader. He he put it in this uh, tomb that had never, ever been. 
And uh, I was talking to Pastor Abram when he was here, and he said, in the Middle East, a lot of the caves or tombs were large, and more than one person would be buried in there, and there would often be quite a few contain- areas for bodies. But this was never been used, and what would happen, there would be a, a stone that would roll, and it would have a lip like this, and so when it dropped in, it was very difficult to, to open that up. You'd need a whole pile of guys to be able to push that stone out. That's why the angel came. That's why the women, when they were coming, said, who's going to move the stone? Because they knew how it, how it sat in that hole. And it, it says in uh, Mark 16, 3 and 4, And the women asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And because the stones rolled away and Jesus rose from the dead, you don't have to live in a tomb any longer. And he's come to roll away the things that try and hold our lives in limitation, in shame, in fear, in guilt. All those things that can accumulate over our lives. I want to say today that Jesus has come to roll the stone away. And your heart can be open and free and not, not locked up with a whole lot of stuff inside that we, God's not designed for us to carry. And at Easter, we have a look at Jesus' life afresh. And on Good Friday, I spoke a message on Jesus, the Lamb of God, and saw so much in Scripture right through about the Lamb of God. And as I was preparing for today, I saw something I'd never really seen before. Many understand that Jesus, when he was on this earth, was a carpenter in his early years, him and Joseph. Then he preached for three and a half years before his death and resurrection. But it's interesting to note the word translated carpenter in Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3 is the the Greek word tekton, not teflon, tekton. Do you know what that word means? It was interpreted to mean carpenter, and that's one of its meanings, but probably not the main meaning. It says that tecton is, can mean carpenter, builder, metal worker, sculptor, artisan, stone worker, or craftsman. You see, when the writers of the King James Version of the Bible were translating the Greek into English... They saw this word, and to them, most builders were carpenters, and so that was the one that they chose to call it Jesus a carpenter. There's one big problem, that in Israel, when the time Jesus walked on the earth, there was very little timber in that country, because it had all been used in the centuries before for building all these things and for their warfare, so there was little or no timber for building in Israel at that time. The only timber they could get was from Lebanon which they would sail um, down. They would tie these logs together and they would sail it down um, in rafts and they called it the Via Maris, the road of the sea, adjacent to the Mediterranean shore. And then they would land it and then take those logs to various building sites. So some of the Bible scholars are fairly convinced that Jesus was probably a carpenter when they had timber, but most of his life he built in stone because most of the buildings were stone buildings in that time. And so Jesus was probably a builder of stone much more than he was a carpenter of wood. 
And when I saw that, I thought, whoa. All of a sudden, I started to see some things I'd never seen in Scripture. All the Scriptures about Jesus being the stone that the builders rejected because he built, he was the capstone. All of a sudden, I saw that's probably what he worked with much more than timber because there was hardly any timber there. I thought, God, so many things we understand about God are only that much when there's this much that God wants us to see. And I just want you to start to see that our Jesus is the most amazing carpenter, builder, metal worker, sculptor, artisan, stone worker, architect or craftsman, and probably a few others in there. And I thought, wow, he's a builder. He's a builder of people's lives. He's a builder that changes things from mess and chaos. Some of you love watching those renovation shows and they find those in America, they call them zombie houses, houses that have been abandoned or been damaged in a hurricane, and they just walk away from them. And so people come and start to remake all of these homes that were once beautiful. And our lives are a bit like that. God creates us in His image, but sin and shame and the brokenness of this world and the lies of darkness end up damaging us, and we end up being damaged buildings that God has to come and renovate by His grace. And that's what He does. He's the builder that comes and restores our lives. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. How sad when people encounter Jesus, some embrace his gift of life. And others reject it and it's a stumbling for the rest of their lives until they come to Christ. And many of us were like that until we had a revelation of who Jesus is and was. Not, a, not just a religious thing, but a life-giving saviour. And that's what we have. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church... And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of revelation of who he was and who he is and who he is to come. And so Jesus understood what it meant to build with stone, to build with whatever materials were there. And God will build our lives with whatever is needed to restore your soul. He will build in His grace. He will build in His forgiveness. He will build in His hope. He will build in purpose for our lives. He will build in restoration. Whatever we need, He's very skilled to build everything that we need. Thank God for that for our lives. He's not limited to one thing. We sometimes limit Jesus to our limited understanding of Him. But I've known Jesus now for over 40 years and I am amazed how often I open the scriptures and there's another revelation of how big is our God. He's the creator of the universe. He is so amazing. Jesus is the tecton, the architect of all creation. This aligns perfectly with the Apostle John's understanding of creation. In John 1.3 he states, 
Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Wow, Jesus, the creator, the builder of all things. And sometimes we think, well, God, I don't know if you can restore or change this in my life. Rubbish, he can do anything if you let him. If you cooperate and partner with him and just give him a little bit of faith and a bit of space and a responsive heart and see what God can do. His grace is sufficient. But there's more. The word tecton can also be translated as craftsman. Jesus is the promised master craftsman and architect of creation who brings order out of chaos and peace to our lives in this world and in the world to come. You don't have to wait to begin to experience his peace until his kingdom comes. You can have it right now as he has promised. Jesus is the master builder. What did Jesus say in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. I go to heaven to prepare a place for you. He's up there building our eternal dwelling place right now. How awesome is that? He's a builder. He's the creator. He builds things for our lives, for now and for eternity. I trust your heart's being enlarged right now to see how amazing is our God. He puts a call in our heart, a purpose in our lives to raise children, to raise up ministries, to care for the poor and needy, to be professional, to serve in all of our capacities, to be a carer, a counsellor. And then he will build you and teach you and equip you so you've got the tools to help partner with him to build other people's lives for his glory. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. It's a place of discipleship, of love, where we build together for the kingdom of God. He gives the raw materials and then he says, cooperate and work with me. He gives you a beautiful little child and he says, train it in the way it should go. We become co-builders with our God. You work with a new Christian and help disciple and train them. We are building together for the kingdom of God. How amazing is our Jesus? I was thinking a few other scriptures about stones. Joshua 4 verse 4, the people of Israel had left Egypt. Some of you watched the Ten Commandments movie, it was on television. I started watching, it goes on for about 15 hours, I think. It was all day and night. It was still going at 10.30 at night. I said, i got to get some sleep. It's one of the longest movies I think was ever made. That's powerful. And it shows the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and then they go through the Promised Land and then they go through the Jordan River. And in Joshua 4.4, this is what Joshua, he said, he called together the 12 men he had pointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God, which represents the manifest presence of God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future, where your children ask, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were, were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Jesus, Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them over with them to the camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been put in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now what's this about? 
there was a miracle. The Jordan River was in flood, and to get into the promised land, they had to go through that river. They would have got washed away. But when the priests carried the ark, which is the prayer of God, and they put their feet into the river, isn't it awesome when you pray and you hope God starts moving? Sometimes he says, I'll move when you move. They had to put their foot in the water and could have been washed away. And as soon as they put their foot in the water with the presence of God, because we're carriers of his presence and hope into our world, the river blocked up and that flooding river stopped. And Joshua said, I want one from each tribe, one from each major family. When the river stops, I want you to get a rock from the bottom of the riverbed that you will never, ever see again because the river's always flooding or running. He said, I want you to get a rock that reminds you of the miracle of his provision and breakthrough and supernatural in your life and put it up and they made an altar and that's where they worship God and it's still there. God will sometimes get you to get stones as memorials, as places to focus on. Something special for our lives. And that's an amazing thing. So stones can be a place, a memorial in our lives of God's goodness. Secondly, stones can speak about temptation. Matthew 4, 3, the tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Wow. So these stones in the wilderness, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He was on a fast before his ministry and it was a huge place of temptation. Tell these stones to become bread. In other words, look after your needs and forget about all the other people. Be me first. And that's a temptation we all face at times where God says, hey, don't forget to serve and fulfill your call and purpose and love one another and your needs will be met in the process. Many after precious stones, diamonds, gold, silver, opals, other jewels, they're not wrong in themselves, they're a beautiful gift. They can remind you and they're memorial, but you can also get your heart wrecked if you pursue them their own value for yourself instead of seeing that they're a much bigger picture. Thirdly, stones can sometimes speak of punishment or judgment or condemnation. John 8, 5. Now in the law, Moses command us to stone such a woman to death. So what do you say with her? What is your sentence? They said this to test him, hoping that they would have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted in questioning him, he straightened up and said, He who is without any sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow, what an amazing, amazing an act of adultery. And they brought her, but not the guy. And they were trying to trap Jesus. And they had their stones to throw in judgment and condemnation. Jesus knew their trap. He challenged them, he's without sin, throw the first stone. Well, that sorted them out pretty quickly. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And then Jesus said, where are all your accusers gone? He said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Wow. We can use stones by our words and we can use accusations and judgments that can destroy people's souls or we can withhold them and introduce people to Jesus, the master builder, the stone that others rejected and see their lives get built on a good foundation instead of shifting sands of sin and brokenness and shame. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus that we love.
It says in John 8, 59, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Twice it's recorded they tried to stone Jesus in his ministry, but no stones hid his body because he was protected. And there are sometimes stones that will hit your body and arrows that will come and try and get in your heart, but you need to put up the shield of faith. Don't let those accusations of the enemy or of people's lives tear you down. And if they do get in, come and say, Jesus, heal me. I forgive and release and set me free and set the shield up again so you can live in his grace and freedom. Oh, God, help us. John 10, 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claims to be God. That's why they wanted to stone Jesus, because that was the Old Testament law. But they just didn't get it. Another interesting stone was Daniel. Got tricked by the king, got tricked. He gets thrown in the lion's den. A godly, righteous man. Gets thrown in the lion's den in Daniel 6.17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. A stone was sealing his death or so they thought. But some angels came, closed the lion's mouths and Daniel probably used one of them as a pillow and had a really good sleep. A nice big mane would probably be a really soft pillow. Better than Jacob sleeping on a stone and having dreams. You'd have dreams too if you sleep with a pillow for a stone. But here, God intervened and next day he's rescued. And that caused such an impact on the king that he sent a rule out over his whole kingdom. Everyone's got to honour and worship the God of Daniel because he's the true God. Wow. Sometimes when things seem the darkest, it's the place where God's going to reveal his greatest glory. Don't give up. Don't try and sort it out yourself, but cooperate. A couple more. Stones can be a weapon of victory. Who knows the story of David and Goliath? How many stones did he get? Five smooth stones. This was another one of the revelation I had several years ago. I was doing some study on this, and I used to have the Sunday school story of the David getting the five little stones, just sort of little pebbles, and putting them in his thing and swinging it and knocking the Goliath over. Until I started to read and research that what the, what the uh, warriors of David's time, the stone was actually two kilograms in weight like a shot put. And that's what they used to use in their slings. I thought, no wonder Goliath hit the, hit the deck. You get that going, like a hammer throw at the Commonwealth Games, that thing flies at about 60 or 80 kilometres an hour and took him out. That's what actually happened. If you read and study, that's what it was. It wasn't a tiny little stone. It was still a miracle, but he was skilled in a stone about that big, like a cricket ball that was two kilograms in weight. Wow. Some of us need to start reading our Bibles again and see what really happened. Study his word and see what really goes on. So David used them. When he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch with shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand to 
He struck down the Philistine and killed him. God will give you the right weapons to overcome. The word of authority and prayer and faith. And here's another beautiful weapon, praise. Luke 1940. Jesus replied as they were coming in, what we call Palm Sunday, a few days before his crucified and the crowds were saying hosanna hosanna and the religious people saying you can't worship jesus he's a man not god and they just had it all messed up and jesus said i tell you if these people keep silent the stones will cry out in praise wow i'm never gonna let a stone do my job don't sit like a stone in church and let some stone cry out for praise to God. Let's be alive and let the presence of Jesus flow so our lives are praising our God. Not only in church, but wherever we are in the journey of life. Don't be silent. Let the praise of God come from your heart because when it's alive with the resurrected Christ, you'll always have a song. You'll always have a song. You might be in pain, but you'll still sing a song of I trust you, Lord. And there'll be times when you sing songs of great victory and overcoming. There'll be times where you sing songs of hope and I'm going to keep believing. But something happens when you praise him. I'm not going to let a, a stone. I don't want to be unemployed and a stone takes my job. I want the stones to be unemployed and we do what God's called us to do. And one more. What about the story of Lazarus? Jesus' good friend, he died, was dead for four days. Let's quickly read part of the story. John eleven thirty eight. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now this is weeks or months before Jesus died. Very powerful picture. Before Jesus died and rose again. He says, take away the stone. No angel is going to come and do it. He says, you take away the stone. Sometimes when miracles happen, we've got to do our part, otherwise it won't happen. We want God to do it all. And he says, you find out what your part is. Sometimes it's just believing and trusting. Other times it's speaking and praying. Sometimes it's loving and forgiving. Whatever it is, if we do our part, God will always do his part. And we don't have enough resurrections because we don't know what our part is sometimes. We haven't waited long enough to see and pray. It says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. It would have been a similar situation. They would have had to roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb which was probably like a cave. That's what they often did, or they were cut into the rock. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there. I love Jesus. He's got a great sense of humor in the middle of all this going on. Just tell it like it is. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I'm glad he said Lazarus because every other body in the tombs around would have jumped out of those t- graves. I'm serious. Because Pastor Abram was we were talking about this. He said those tombs often had different compartments so there could have been other dead people in there. Lazarus, come out. 
And we sing that beautiful song we started with today. And we come out of the tomb into life. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Poor guy can't see and he's all tied up. So he's stumbling out, probably rolls out of the grave. He didn't come running out free. He was all wrapped up in all the grave clothes. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Two, there was two key parts for the people to be a part of this miracle. They had to take the stone away and then they had to help unwrap the grave clothes. Sometimes God will use you to help push stones of unbelief and fear and religion off people's souls and present the truth so they can start to discover reality. And when people do get life, you're going to sometimes help take the grave clothes off. That's discipling and teaching and training and praying and setting people free from strongholds that they don't know how to get free of. And that's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have pastors and leaders and life group leaders and friends and mentors and coaches so that together we pray them into freedom. We love them into freedom. We accept them. We help teach so that freedom can come to all of our lives. Hallelujah. What a great story. No stone has ever stopped Jesus. The stone has been rolled away. He can set you free and help you to release others. Face your past, your fear and pain. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Wow. Ezekiel gives another little picture of a stone. 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in it. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Wow, some of us end up with really hard hearts because of sin and shame and judgment and fear and abuse. And we harden our hearts to protect ourselves. But God and his love comes and it starts to just trickle into our souls. Someone reaches out in love and acceptance and, and loves us and it starts to melt our stony, hard hearts. And his grace starts to get in our souls. We think, well, Lord, soften my heart. God wants to have soft but strong hearts, not hard hearts. And you might be here today saying, well, I just don't get this God stuff because I tried that once and, and my heart just got minced up. Life happens. Schemes of the enemy happen. Broken people, hurting people, hurt people. And sometimes we've wounded others. But the Spirit of God's come with grace today and says, hey, don't forget the Easter message. The stone's been rolled away. I'll put a new spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees. God wants to change our hard hearts, heal wounded hearts, remove stones of fear, unbelief, sin and shame and failure. One more story as we wrap it up today. and Just briefly, it's about Jesus after he rose from the dead. He appears to the disciples. I love this. He arrives on a Sunday morning. That night, it says some of the disciples were locked in a room because they were afraid of the leaders were going to come and arrest them and they would be put on a cross or stoned or whatever. They're in a locked room. And Jesus shows up. The risen Christ walks through the door or the wall. Probably a stone wall that he went straight through. In his resurrected body because no stone would keep him in the tomb. And he walked straight through the stone wall into their presence and brought hope to their souls. He says, don't be afraid. 
And we, the story is that Thomas wasn't there with them. And they told Thomas, it says, no, I can't believe unless I touch him and see him, then I might believe. So one week later, they're having Sunday night supper again and Jesus appears in the room again. They still got the room locked because they're still scared, terrified. He walks through the wall again. John 20, 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. See, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand inside, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. These guys are terrified. Is it an angel? What's happening? He said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He had a revelation and encounter. All his doubt was swept away. All his fear was melted away by God's love. Hope filled his heart again. Then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Wow, wow, wow. The stone of the tomb couldn't keep him in and the stone walls couldn't keep him out. God says, because I'm risen. And no stone has kept me and I can reach into every heart and mind. I can bring peace to troubled minds. I can bring hope into families and marriages. I can bring hope for our community and our nation. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. As the worship team comes. I love the book of Revelation. One eighteen says, when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades or hell. Thank you, Jesus. You're alive. You hold the keys, not the enemy, not someone else's judgment on my life, not my own fear or unbelief, but you hold the keys. Come and let him unlock our hearts. Let his keys of life help unlock other broken, wounded hearts around us. Oh, Jesus. You're the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Life's painful and tough sometimes. Things happen we don't understand because we look from our eyes and we need to say, Jesus, help me to see through your resurrected eyes of life. He can turn all things together for good. He can restore hope into our hearts. Let's stand in His presence. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation, wholeness. Salvation from sin and hope for our lives. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and just, just let your heart just well up in thanksgiving to this amazing Jesus.
Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.